1: Welcome to FIGP's podcast series, FIGP Focus 45. FIGP is the only international NGO whose membership consists entirely of IP attorneys in private practice. The FIGP global community is driven by a shared interest among like-minded people to promote common solutions and advocacy for private practice. The FIGP business family makes the world a little bit smaller, bringing independent IP attorneys from around the globe together to focus on IP issues of global importance. Our host is Louis-Pierre Gravel, a registered patent agent and partner at Bereskin & Par in Montreal, Canada. Good morning,
2: good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to FIGPY's webinar and podcast series, FIGPY Focus 45. My name is Louis-Pierre Gravel, and I'm a partner at Breskin Empire in Montreal, Canada. Today's conversation addresses head-on the war in Ukraine. Slobodan Petoshevich, chairman of the Petoshevich Group, is joining us along with Olga Kudoyar, Taras Manolev, and Yuri Karlash. Olga is in Kiev, while Taras and Yuri recently left to be with their families in Poland and the UK, respectively. We are one year into this war and there doesn't appear to be signs of an end. Yet, while parts of the country are being bombed and others are under Russian control, the country and its citizens continue to work, play, go to school, and live their lives, albeit quite differently than before. We will hear firsthand accounts of what it is like to live in this situation. Slobodan, Olga, Tarash, and Yuri, welcome to the webinar. Perhaps we can start with Slobodan. You instigated this webinar. Why did you think this was important? Hi, everybody. Why
3: I thought it was important is that it's always interesting to hear people who actually, uh, whose life is made up of these uh, stories. We hear a lot about Ukraine, uh, war in Ukraine on the news, But we don't often uh, have contact with people who actually lived through it and are still living through this. So we're going to try to have a a close look at that, brief but close from a professional perspective and from the private lives perspective of people involved.
2: And so you're chairman of the Potoshevitz Group. You've got offices across Eurasia, uh, as we call it. How has this affected your operations on a daily basis?
3: Well, tremendously. Uh, it was a very stressful event that happened about 13 months ago, uh, that I personally never thought I, I was going to experience again. Uh, I, I'm saying that this is probably the second European war that our practice is living through, referring to the wars in the Balkans in the 90s. It did ca- come as a big surprise, and it uh, impacted us uh, very seriously, primarily from uh, the, the human perspective and then also from logistics and from the business perspective. It, it was um, a, a very uh, serious event that put immediately question mark as to what's going to happen next. Are we going to continue? Are we going to survive? Is there going to be Ukraine a few weeks down the road? Fortunately, uh, Ukrainians did uh, defend themselves rather well, much to the surprise of many, uh, a very good surprise that I might add. And even today we have, um, The country, I don't want to say intact, but really fighting uh, very well towards uh, its liberation. In terms of business, we first thought about the people. We, uh, as as a business, we needed to help. We needed to make sure that people can continue working and that they receive any sort of help that we could offer as a company. Given that today, uh, 13 months down the road, our Ukrainian team is still intact, so we we don't have anybody who left or anybody who couldn't continue working, I think we did a good job. It's not something that I would ever like to see again in my lifetime, but I'm very happy that we managed to preserve our very valuable team that, by the way, uh, around the beginning of, of the war took uh, uh, the best part of 10 years to build a lot of people from our Ukrainian office are no longer in Ukraine understandably uh, they, uh, had, most of them had to follow their families it, it is really tough and cruel to be separated from your uh, families from, because typically um, first women and children left uh, men of military age couldn't leave so easily Actually, most of them could not leave and not allowed to leave. There were exceptions on In terms of uh, how we handled it <coughs> work-wise, I guess we could say that we are lucky that we had good practice in remote work thanks to the COVID experience. We, uh, at Petosovic, we also work quite a lot uh, online. Uh, we used video conferencing for years before COVID, even because we are scattered over 16, 17 offices in, in 16, 17 countries. And in order to keep, uh, keep in contact, and since we work with teams that are very frequently uh, consisting of people uh, working from different locations, this was absolutely necessary. So, the biggest challenge, I guess, was the uh, stability of internet later on, uh, electricity. You will hear more about that from people who experienced it uh, firsthand. For, from my perspective, I, I could say, you know, work continued. Somebody said that, there, I think it was Olga, that they were filing uh, things with the PTO even on the very day of the beginning of the invasion on 24th of February. And it, it continued. We did our best to inform the IP community of what was going on. I think we uh, did a fairly good job about that. I'm very pleased that the Ukrainian authorities continued uh, and that, that uh, all institutions involved in intellectual property protection continued to function to this day. Later on, we will uh, hear maybe uh, from Yuri, I think, about... Uh, even some legislative developments that took place during the war, which is quite remarkable. What else could I uh, tell you? Of course, there was a a bit of a difference in the type of cases that we were getting for Ukraine. Enforcement uh, dropped. So obviously, in the uh, war conditions, uh, when there is martial law uh, enforced, it is not very um, inviting to uh, do any enforcement related work. And that went down. The, the rest of the work, I actually, to this date, I, I don't have exact statistics. No, we didn't really uh, look into that. We, we just realized at some point that the workflow is continuing in a sufficient manner. But since this was not a criteria for us, so we would never say, "Oh, you know, we have so much less work, so let's, uh, you know, consider uh, reducing our our staff in Ukraine or or whatnot." So we simply were not looking into that. We were just doing our best, and uh, here we are today, uh, thirteen months uh, into this uh, incredible. Uh, I think, probably the most tragic event in the 21st century so far caused by humans. Uh, COVID uh, was arguably largely out of our control, and we just uh, kind of, the the whole humanity fought against it. But this uh, war being caused by, uh, is very much within human control, unfortunately, and Personally, I'm extremely troubled that we're in 21st century and that we' are living through something like
2: this. And I think that's you know I think that's a very good point. no one I think saw this coming really and um, and and now we're in this situation 13 months later and and as far as I can tell, there's no really there doesn't seem to be a path to resolution, however definition you want to attach to the word uh, resolution but thank you very much Slobodan and and perhaps we'll get back to you a little bit later i'd like to turn to to uh, olga and um and olga maybe you can you can start by you know introducing yourself and what your role is at the firm and um and and you know what kind what kind of work do you do on a on a day-to-day basis
4: okay hi everyone uh, my name is olga Kudayar. Uh, i have been working at potoshevich As a patent consultant since 2018, for almost five years now, I handle patent applications in Ukraine and other countries in the region. Since I have a background in eco-biotechnology, it could be an advantage when handling patent applications for clients from pharmaceutical, food, agriculture, and other related industries. Before joining Petoshevich, I worked as a Patent attorney assistant at another intellectual property company in Ukraine and as uh, intellectual property specialist at Ukrainian pharmaceutical company. Mm, I also would be happy to become once a member of the FIGPY, and I have already applied for membership. Referring back to the past year, I have uh, stayed in Ukraine since the war started in February 24, 2022. I never left the country. But I left Kyiv for one month uh, at the end of February 2022, returning to Kyiv at the end of March 2022. I spent that time in the village, not too far from Kyiv. And uh, at that moment, no one knew where the safest place could be. I didn't panic because even in January, before the war started, I felt that something will definitely take place. So I was calm on February 24, uh, drinking tea at 5 a.m. in the morning with explosions uh, at the background. Um, For me, the most challenging time was the time spent in the village near Kyiv. Even so, it was about 100 kilometers from Kyiv. I felt like I was cut off from civilization. Everything in everyday life had to be reconsidered, when to get up, when to eat, when to walk. Uh, I didn't have a stable internet connection. And when I say internet connection, I mean a wired internet. Mobile internet, I share it with my partner. And the mobile network of my operator, its coverage was poor in that area. Um, So we had one mobile internet connection for two people. In any way, it was better than nothing, and it helped it to keep in touch with my colleagues and to keep working. The Ukrainian PTO continued to work. Lucky, we were lucky at this point. They implemented electronic filing system maybe five or six years earlier. This helped their IP community to continue to work, even remotely. And I remember myself, I was... Filing documents, I guess I was filing an application uh, on february twenty four at certain moments work was the only thing uh, the only thing that helped me to keep the cool mind to keep the cool head um, and everything was relatively fine until october twenty twenty two when uh, Russia started to target uh, Ukrainians' energy infrastructure. And uh, after several attacks on Kyiv, we experienced what life um, must have been like during the Middle Ages with no electricity, no water supply, no heat in the apartment. But still we were in war and blackouts became a part of my life. Somehow I anticipated these blackouts and I started preparing myself for them In summer, uh, I bought maybe you saw that kind of lightning USB uh, charging lighting devices, uh, which became more helpful than candles. I also had several um, batteries for recharging my phone and that lightning. But because every almost every device in the apartment relied on uh, electric energy, including the stove, I bought a portable. uh, a gas grill. So, even in the most darkest time, it wasn't so dark anymore. Uh, however, again, the, back, the, the biggest issue was internet connection uh, during power outages, which lasted for Sunday, maybe uh, for 12 hours a day. So, so, October, November, and even December. And uh, with regard to the internet, as we found out, most providers were not ready to supply all the buildings in the area with uh, UPS. These kind of devices are uninterruptible power sources or anything related to the internet without electricity. However, my partner and I, we love to solve technical issues. So we, may, uh, we, we did some research, uh, found a suitable source and collected money from our neighbors to buy UPS on our own which at least made uh, our lives easier a little bit. Uh, however, before we solved that issue, once or twice uh, we had to work from um, a co-working center organized by one of the biggest building material shops in Kiev. Even it was a little bit fun <laughs> to leave the apartment, and I, I, I really don't see if you see. Uh-huh. This is a picture of that center. As you can see, there was a lot of people, but not so many tables and chairs, so they were just sitting on the floor.
2: And so this is this is one of the areas where people went when power was off. At least you could have uh, some power. Um, and, yes, uh, uh, and, internet. And it, but internet. internet
4: was a little bit poor because um, there was a lot of people. So the uh, speed was very low. But that area was uh, was with electricity, and I don't know how and why, but the mobile internet was even better than in my house in the building.
2: So we we have another picture to show where when when Kiev experienced some uh, some power outages, this is a a picture you took outside of your apartment. Yes, really the only light you can see is the lights of the cars, right?
4: Yeah, it was a little bit terrifying and like a thrill, I think, <laughs> like a movie. Because it was, I think, took in November when we were about maybe three or four days without electricity. And the only thing that could be fun is just watching outside the window and to see the light, to see the cars that were going past.
2: And then, so you, we have another picture taken yes. where At, the, power, the power is back.
4: It was taken in March, the beginning of March. And you, you can see the difference. A big I, difference.
2: It, it's it's really quite remarkable uh, how how we rely on on electricity to provide for some of our most basic needs, right?
4: But we live like in different times. Uh, it's not like Middle Ages, so it's like a common thing electricity for us. So w- when you don't have it, you just realize how you depended on on it.
2: That's right, Olga. Oh, yeah, you you decided to stay in Ukraine. Um, Why did you make that decision? What what made you stay there?
4: Well, I know myself very well, and for me, from the maybe psychology reason or point of view, I knew that it would be much easier to stay close to my friends, to my family, because it's like mm, a feeling that you're sharing their suffering with you, and I wouldn't feel myself comfortable knowing that they are in Ukraine and I maybe in any other country, um, having everything that I would like to have. So it's like, I, I, I didn't see a reason.
2: To leave. And that, you know, I think that's that's really, Slobodan talked about the way that the work had changed a little bit and there was a lot less enforcement. Um, as a As a patent agent or as a patent attorney, have you seen a shift? And it doesn't need to be scientific. Have you seen a shift in the kinds of, uh, matters that you're being asked to to provide advice on? Is it more defense-related, perhaps more security, cybersecurity, or is there something that that changes there?
4: Unfortunately, I didn't knows, note any significant re- uh, changes. I think the whole applications we were uh, receiving maybe the last year is the same we received this year. Um, no, not, not this year, but to 2022. Maybe and- even at some moment... For my surprise, when we, maybe when it was March, April or beginning of summer, we were receiving, I can't say a lot of uh, requests for filing applications. But at this period of time, uh, comparing to the maybe previous year, it was maybe even a little um, increasing. Maybe they were just thinking that we will, are we in the war very fast? So they just are thinking for future.
2: One last question before we, we move on to our other guests. Okay. Um, today in, in Kyiv and in Ukraine, is there anything that you need? Is there anything that you do not have that you really would need? And And if so, can you suggest or point our listeners to how they could help?
4: If we are speaking about today, it could be very difficult to say because I think that we have everything we need at this moment. We are strong as people, but maybe together we can be stronger. So the support of friendly countries could be that way, <laughs> any support.
2: Thank you very much. Yeah, that's uh, very inspiring. <laughs> I'm a little bit at a loss of words. I'm I'm sorry. Taras, let's, uh, let's turn to you. So what is your role within the firm? What are you doing? How, do you, how, did, how have you coped with this?
0: All right. <laughs> Hello again, my name is Taras Manolov. I'm a patent attorney at Petosovic Ukraine. Uh, very briefly about my background. I obtained my PhD degree at Lund University in Sweden. My field was medical microbiology. Then I, sp- uh, I spent a few years as a researcher at Lund University and, and Max Planck Institute for Infect- uh, Infection Biology in Berlin. I started working in the patent field in 2011, specialized in prosecution of patent applications in the field of life sciences, pharmaceuticals, chemistry, agriculture, and the like in Ukraine and some other countries in, the, in our region. So before joining Potosovic, three years ago, I worked for several patent startups for an established patent firm in Ukraine and as an in-house patent specialist at a pharmaceutical company. Uh, During the first days of this full-scale war in Ukraine, work-related matters were actually the least of our concerns. Remote work routines were already established, both in our firm and at the uh, IP office, uh, already during the coronavirus pandemics. So everyone's concern was primarily how to keep their families and children safe. I have a wife and two young daughters, but still, um, they were six and nine when the war started. But uh, we didn't leave the city right away. We didn't have a car. And anyway, we were, we were reluctant to leave everything behind. After the initial shock, confusion, we became somehow accustomed to the uh, new normal and life just went on in the new circumstances. So that said, we lived in a city district where you could easily hear the explosions see the smoke sometimes. We regularly heard artillery fire, air defense rocket launches, and even small arms fire when our soldiers tried to take down low-flying drones. Actually, on the second day of the war, February 25th last year, a saboteur Russian group broke through uh, our defenses and they were neutralized only some 600 meters from our department block. We were supposed to go to a shelter each time the uh, raid sirens uh, were heard, but uh, it was 16th floor and our building uh, had the elevator switched off. So we just sat in the the most part of the flat, (laughs) hoping for the best. Of course, my wife and, and, and daughters were terrified to hear the sounds of the war, but they were also terrified to live anywhere without me. In the beginning, we were not certain if we could all leave our country together because uh, or basically male population between ages of 18 and 16 were allowed to live the country. Our youngest daughter has a, a partial disability which is a legal ground for me to accompany them. But uh, not all documents were ready for me at the time and uh, I was also a bit hesitant to try to board the evacuation train competing for place with mainly women, children and elderly. At some point uh, still we decided that my wife and daughters had to leave for a safer place. Thanks to our professional connections in the UK, we found a place to stay, did the paperwork, and then my wife and the girls evacuated and were finally out of the country and safe. Potentially, they could have traveled to Sweden or Germany with friends, but we felt that the UK would be slightly easier because my wife can speak Swedish and German. So they left. It was late March, and I stayed alone in Kiev until late July. <clears throat> we uh, eventually reunited. It was hard to spend time apart, and it was uh, harder because my uh, younger daughter had uh, health problems, but um, and was uh, surgery was planned that could not postponed or avoided. it. So I just had to be there for them, take care of uh, the elder daughter Well, my wife was in hospital with the younger one. So even now I'm still staying in a hotel not far from the hospital uh, to be on hand. Uh, our girl had surgery on Monday this week. Everything seems to be relatively okay, but some concerns remain.
2: That's- Thank you very much for for sharing that and of course we, we wish the best for your daughter and her recovery. Thank you. Do you still have a family? In, uh, of course, you still have family and friends back in, in Kyiv or in Ukraine. Sure. Are you in regular contact with them? Are you able to, to, uh, to
0: have news? Thankfully, yes, we have contacts. Um, most of my acquaintances, friends and, and, and family, my mom and dad, are in Kyiv. And the connection is, is quite, quite good. And thankfully, uh, they'll write. Everything that I, who I personally know, they'll write.
2: And then if,
0: I'm going to ask the
2: same question I asked Olga, which is: Have you have you seen a, a shift in the types of work that you have access, that you've been asked to consult on, or is it, as you said, you know, more or less a, a, a normal "quote unquote" pace uh, in view of the circumstances?
0: I cannot say I, I uh, noticed any actual uh, shift. I think we received quite a few applications from. Other firms that uh, wanted to go through Ukrainian firms for certain jurisdictions. That's uh, basically about it. Mm.
2: Is there one thing that you would, or one message that you'd like to share with with our listeners in terms of anything that you need? Um, you're in the UK, so uh, you know, material things. I I suspect you have easily access to, but for your for your family and friends that are left behind in 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 Ukraine.
0: I should really hope that everyone in the world who is following the the events would not get tired of it, as it often happens with even important things. Uh, I think we need your attention. We need your support. That's that's the most important thing, I think.
2: One of the things that you uh, shared, and I think we we'll, we will reshare it for the for the participants, is a. Uh, a link to a lecture by a professor at Yale University, uh, Timothy Snyder. There are, of course, as you know, many different theories and motives behind the, the war, and people have different perspectives on it. Why do you think this one in particular is worthy of our attention?
0: I think it's better to leave things to professionals. On, uh, uh, Timothy Snyder is a well-known authority on the history of Eastern Europe, Ukraine in particular he researched uh, Ukrainian history, Russian history, uh, Eastern Europe history in, in general all, all, all things considered I, I, I yeah, will let's leave it with, in that
2: Perfect well thank you very much and thank you very much for for sharing you your, your story today and again uh, best wishes and speedy recovery to your daughter um I know I'll be checking back with you to see how how things are thank going you so much. Yuri, you've listened to uh, to Slobodan and Olga and Taras. So, what's your role in in the firm, and uh, you know what what is what do you do on a day to day basis?
5: Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Yuri Karoš. I'm an associate and attorney at uh, law attorney at law at Office uh, in Ukraine. I'm also a patent, trademark, and design attorney. And I've been working for Petochevich almost twelve years, and I'm also a VP member almost three years. Uh, I mostly deal with uh, contentious trademark-related matters, including unfair competition, online infringement, trademark oppositions in Ukraine, and from time to time in Central Asia and Caucasus jurisdictions. Uh, before joining Petochevich, I worked as in as an IP in-house lawyer for for the Ukrainian vodka company, Nemirov. When I look back at the past year, I I must say I had completely other plans like all Ukrainians did. So I didn't expect to face the war and be forced to leave the country and to fear for my children's lives and safety. Uh, My my wife and kids left Ukraine early in March 2022. And I stayed in Ukraine, mostly in Kyiv, and reunited with them in December 22 in Poland, where we are all are now. In February, I was in Kyiv when the war started. So it was, I got half early in the morning at 6.30 a.m. to take my son to school and saw the war news on the phone. So I ran to the window and heard the explosions. While we were sleeping, the war was already on, so I didn't hear it. I woke up my wife and kids and took them to to corridors away from from windows because it's dangerous to be close to the windows. Thank God the electricity and water supply were still available. Mobile phones and internet connection worked with some interruptions, but anyway, and our car had a full tank. So (laughs) I can't say that we we were completely prepared, but we were lucky at this point. I contacted, contacted my relatives. They live in, in Odessa, it's the south of the country. Ukraine was attacked from the south too, but fortunately the Russians didn't manage to reach Odessa. No, my relatives, my, my parents, my sister, they didn't want to evacuate. So they are still still there. The issues we had to resolve at that moment were safety, cash, fuel, food, communication, and sources of trustworthy information, because if you don't know what's happening, you cannot make the right decision. In parallel, we were communicating with colleagues from mm, Toshević, and we were resolving issues related to, to work. We set up the backup system uh, with our offices in other countries, and we monitored the, the news from the PTO. So it was happening all in the morning, early in the morning. Uh, my wife and we decided to go to south to her parents to, to central part of the country which we thought would be the most the, safe, the safest place. So we there were traffic jams everywhere, checkpoints to, to, to cross so it, it's hard to imagine. In terms of work, we we were prepared, I mean no more or less ready because of the COVID experience made us adaptable to to remote working, I had my laptop, and access to our remote databases. But not only we were ready, but also the government, I mean, the PTO, even courts, because they also operated in the online mode, so it was possible. So it wasn't a problem to submit electronic documents. The problem was how long Ukraine would exist, nobody could tell this at at the moment. And the hardest period was uh, the period of uncertainty in February and March, when our army was retreating, and, when, and then it stroked back, and we saw uh, what Russians did in the occupied territories. I mean, tortured, raped, killed civilian people. Uh, we didn't stay long at, uh, at the place of my wife's parents. We decided that the wife and kids will go further uh, to the West and to Poland. So uh, the colleagues of my wife the Polish colleagues of my wife from GlaxoSmithKline, they they are brilliant because they arrange everything for her to come. And I was more or less calm that she will come there and she will be she will have the necessary. And kids will have the necessary conditions. So they left in March, early in March, with my mother-in-law because and it was hard uh, for my wife because we had a six-month daughter. So it, it wasn't easy for even for them to, to cross the border. They, they waited there for, for a long time. The Ukrainian IP community was also, also discussing, I mean, we were discussing and com- communicating with each other. We understood that we need to, to provide more real information in English and other languages to, to, to people outside Ukraine to, to, so that they knew the truth was happening because Russian propaganda was everywhere widely represented, and financed. Uh, in March, I was in touch with Julian Trump from Figpi. I am f- thankful to him and to Figpi for, for the support. I provided Figpi with updates on the situation in, in IP field uh, in Ukraine, and Figpi published my text. In April, uh, client, in April, clients began to send us more work, so I'm, we are grateful for, for their emails with, uh, with offering support and help. The PTO worked without interruptions. My daily routine was almost unchanged, except the air rate alerts and almost each day and night. Uh, I also managed to, to visit my parents in Odessa. Uh, unfortunately, my mother died. She had an illness and it was not the best. War is not the best time for for getting, for getting recovered. So she couldn't stand living in in this in this situation.
2: Right. I, you know, I our sincere condolences to Dolanka's oh, mother. In
5: in September, my wife and kids even came to Kiev. We, I was very happy because we celebrated the birthday of the wife and of the the, the daughter, and she, the daughter was baptized. So we were very optimistic that moment because our army was victorious in certain territories. But in October and later, Russia began to bomb energy infrastructure in Kiev and caused blackouts. So it was, everything was working when electricity was available, but with interruptions. So, it was publicly discussed that Russia will attack again during winter. And I started to to, to look for ways to leave the country to join my family, because it's hard to, to be a family while living constantly apart. I got legal advice, because uh, Ukrainian legislation was amended during the, the war period. So I arranged then obtaining necessary documents and reunited with them at Christmas in Poland. Against all odds, um, there have been important developments in IP fields in Ukraine. Yes, there was a decrease in filings from 20 to 50%, depending on the type of IP rights, I mean, during 2022. Nevertheless, Ukraine recently amended its copyright law, introduced uh, sui generis protection uh, for computer generated works. Uh, The parliament uh, recently adopted changes to civil and business dispute rules, uh, namely amending amendments concerning the secure, securing of evidence and recovery of damages and compensation in IP infringement cases. Uh, there were also amendments uh, affecting the customs body measures as well as the position of IP holders from Russia. In general, in general, Ukraine is preparing for the EU accession.
2: So it, it is remarkable to me to hear this. I mean, you, we've seen on images on the news and on the video, your prime minister is extremely active. He's traveled around the world. He's been able to secure uh, support for, for Ukraine and Ukrainians throughout the war. And yet throughout all of this, your your institutions, your democratic institutions, are still are still working. So not only is the PTO open, but your parliament is sure, taking exactly. time to address issues related to intellectual property, which you'd think are probably not at the top of the list generally. But it's just it's amazing to me. So I'd like to know a little bit more about this the sui generis protection for for AI. Uh, yeah, it is,
5: it's quite a complete new thing to us, too, because I know that, that there were certain discussions whether to introduce this uh, kind of protection or not. So this mode of protection provides uh, holders, uh, legitimate holders or licensed holders of computer programs with uh, this kind of sui generis, uh, generis protection. To, to works created by computer programs they legitimately uh, legitimately own. This uh, mode doesn't provide moral rights, only economic rights. And the term of protection is uh, 25 years.
2: Right, so it's much shorter than typical copyright. Yes, isn't?
5: yes, than typical copyright. Is it but,
2: modeled a little bit on the UK provisions?
5: Uh, I, can't, I can't tell you how exactly because so far we don't have disputes how it works it's just only a fresh law that entered almost at the beginning of 2023 so we we need we need to wait <laughs> who will be who will be first to, to try
2: so we we have a few questions in the chat and um I'll start with with one probably directed to you Yuri are there plans for Ukraine to join the European patent convention and and if so do we do you have a an idea of what the time schedule could be for that
5: frankly speaking i don't know because uh, look i mean uh, i guess the first uh, the first task for for the country is to join the european union
4: right. so uh,
5: that will be the main uh, the, the main target of the, the 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 work of legislator and the pto so it's to, i think it's too far. Joining the Petent Convention is too far from from, from now. So the the, the first task would be joining the the, the European Union.
3: Slobodan? Yeah, well, we're not aware of plans that Ukraine would join the uh, EPC, but we have seen uh, many countries that are today still European Union candidates that joined the EPC. So it would not surprise me that this comes. It would be kind of a logical step. We are obviously not directly involved in the in the process, and I don't know if uh, any any negotiations started. But it would be logical, uh, very probable, and it would not actually require Ukraine uh, to to join uh, the EU uh, beforehand, like all the Balkan countries were
2: actually uh, are now. By now, the EPC members another question that has come in and and i'm I'm going to throw it at large. whoever wants to answer it could you know Ukraine is of course neighbor to to Russia you you probably have family or friends or colleagues that are still in Russia. How have you dealt with that relationship if you if you want to answer I'm, there's no obligation to to do so, but is there any contact you have with people still within Russia? how do you how do you address something like that?
5: Look, I have a co- cousin uh, in Russia, but uh, we we contacted during the war, but nothing... I mean, we didn't discuss much, and we, we didn't speak with each other much during this time.
0: Uh, I have a few uh, Russian contacts, but most of them uh, I regularly speak to are outside of Russia, and none of them supported the war.
4: I have a friend of the family. Uh, she was born in Ukraine, and she had been living in Russia for years. Uh, she started a family in Russia. But I speak only once with her because it wasn't constructive dialogue at all. She was just behaving that um, something happened, but she is not the part of that. So I just leave her with that, and that's it.
2: Uh, Slobodan, Olga, Taras, and Yuri Thank you very, very much for taking your time today and, and speak with us. I have one last question, and it comes from someone in in the in the QA. And that is, what kind of support from the IP community do you think would be useful for you and and yourselves? And and I'm and I think the, the question is the IP community at large, it could be focused on FigPee, but is there is there something that we as a community can do to help? And if so, what would that be? If it's okay, I'll go
3: first. Or go ahead, please. My colleagues will say whatever they want. Uh, first, Giorgio, thank you very much for the question. Nice to see that you're watching the webinar. Indeed, I, I think as a first thing, IP community uh, can offer its support by kind of keeping our Ukrainian colleagues busy to the extent that it's possible. Work is, import- is an important part of life. You can imagine how depressing it would be if, if, if you see that everything is crumbling around you and you don't even have anything to do and the, the work is your lifeline and to the extent possible, I keep our Ukrainians' colleagues busy. And it is <clears throat> unrealistic also to believe that a country of 40 million people will all of a sudden become part of Russia and that it has no future. I believe firmly to the contrary, it's going to be one of the, down the road, one of the most important European economies and probably the EU, uh, in the EU as well. The second thing uh, I would say, well, any sort of public support to the Ukrainian cause is essential. We hear uh, voices that do not believe that this kind of investment in, in Ukrainian defense is justified. We we hear people who are asking for peace at any cost. It would create such a, a terrible picture of the future that uh, I personally don't even want to think of. So that kind of moral support, acknowledging the importance of Ukrainian Ukrainians defending themselves. I think they are defending the whole Europe, to say the least. And, um, yeah, I think these are the most important things. But let's see. My colleagues may have some other ideas. Thank you, Slobodan.
2: Maybe, Olga, do you have any final words?
4: I thought to will have it.
0: <laughs> I would say that our support is directed towards Russia is finally going to fund to fund the aggression to some extent. Uh, Let's leave it at that.
2: Thank you, Yuri.
5: I I just want to thank to all the people who who supported us in every possible way, who donated and supported us outside Ukraine and in Ukraine and helped us to get through it. It really works. It really worked. It helped and maintained strength and faith. I, I thank you because we really need this even moral support, the truth about war. So it it really helps. Thank you.
2: Thank you again, all of you. I've uh, I, I think this was an extremely moving uh, conversation, a very touching conversation. And uh, you know I I can only wish all of you uh, individually and collectively the very best for the future and uh, a swift resolution to this this conflict and i'm not suggesting peace at any cost but certainly i think uh personally and i this is not a view that's and that's uh, sanctioned by by or anyone else it's my personal view i think ukraine has a right to self-determination and ukraine needs to remain whole and i think we need to do what we can to to help that so thank you very much for helping us bring this to our audience and to this tragic story thank you very much
4: Thank you, question. Thank you for
2: inviting. me. We have one more question if we have the time, I don't know. So it's it's a comment. Yeah, so That's maybe I can maybe I can read it. It's from uh, Stefan. Thank you. I'm well informed about this incredible war, but this has been my first contact to Ukrainian people. Congratulations for your unbelievable resilience. All the best for you and your country. Not only because you are defending democracy, the rule of law, liberty for all of us. All the best for you and your country. Thank you. I think think that is the absolute best way to to end our conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much.
4: Thank you.
1: If you have any questions about the topics discussed in this podcast, you can sign up for free and message us, ficp.org. You can also find out more of what's to come on the FIGP Focus 45 podcast series, either on the events page of our website, LinkedIn, or via our newsletter. See you next time.